Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. So we begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Here goes Carmona, Russo can't catch her. Carmona drills it low! For the semi-final hero, Olga Carmona has now scored in the final in Spain. Hit the front. Today on the Indo-Daily, mass resignations, a hunger strike and a vicious public spat that cast a shadow over football's biggest stage. And supporters in Madrid and Barcelona were thrilled as they watched Spain win the Women's World Cup final. Spanish fans celebrated on the streets as the referee blew that final whistle. After weeks of chaos, Luis Rubiales has finally resigned as president of the Spanish Football Federation, following the fallout from the kiss he gave Jenny Hermosa during Spain's World Cup celebrations. The head of the Spanish FA has sparked outrage after kissing Spain's Jenny Hermosa on the lips after his country's win over England in Sunday's final. But this one kiss has opened up a Pandora's box of issues not only for the Spanish team, but for football in general. The Spanish National Court has confirmed that Rubiales has got cases to answer over alleged sexual assault and coercion, and he will appear in court on Friday to testify. I'm Tabitha Monaghan, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by Dave Hanratty from the Irish Independent and Miguel Delaney, chief football writer at the UK Independent, to examine a scandal that has rocked world football during a deeply problematic time for the sport. Dave, take us back to the World Cup final or the celebrations immediately after Spain won. What exactly happened? It was a bit of an amusing spectacle because Spain had just, against all odds in this tournament, triumphed over England, the heavy favourites going in. And it was a hell of a game. You know, it was a hell of a moment. The the backstory of the Spanish team and the acrimony between the players and the coach and players who dropped out and abstained all the way through. No one thought Spain were going to win this. Spain's victory comes in the face of recent turmoil for the team. Last year, 15 players stepped away, calling for a more professional environment and better pay. The celebrations were, you know, full of joy. Uh, It was a huge victory for the team. And as each player went up, there was embracing with all the various kind of officials, including Luis Rubiales, the president of the Spanish Football Federation. And the more it went on, like, you know, it was just like this, like I say, this kind of deluge of, of joy and happiness for the team. And it was clear that despite those controversies, despite the political issues, this was a huge moment for the Spanish football team. And then as players went down the line, Jenny Hermosa, who was there, uh, embraced with Luis Rubiales, who planted a kiss on her lips in front of millions and millions of people watching worldwide. And it kept going, you know, like you celebrated with her team. He embraced coach Jorge Vilda and it went on from there. And I think, you know, the initial reaction was just one of amusement if you were watching it live as I was. But most people were focusing on the victory and the celebrations, but very quickly this became the real story and completely overshadowed Spain winning the World Cup. And there was outrage from what you describe there as Luis Rubiales kissing Jenny Hermosa, the Spanish forward, on the lips. There was outrage after it. 
everywhere. Uh, social media, for one, punditry in real time in some cases. I think, you know, some broadcasts didn't focus on it, probably because they were just too busy trying to celebrate the team's success. But it became a talking point immediately. And like I say, one that did step in and take away from the incredible glory and triumph of what had been accomplished on the pitch. Uh, then you had people in Spanish government, essentially, the Minister of Equality in the caretaker government in Spain, Irene Montero, described what happened as, quote, a form of sexual violence that we women suffer on a daily basis and until now has been invisible. And she said, we can't normalize this. So very, very quickly, the tide turned and the pressure mounted on Rubiales and the overall Spanish Football Federation. And like you said, it has completely overshadowed Spain's win. It's dominated the news cycle for the last two, three weeks, at least now. How did the Royal Spanish Football Federation respond? Uh, in bizarrely dismissive and defiant fashion, they essentially said that there was nothing wrong. They accused Jenny Hermosa of lying. Again, from a legal standpoint, I'm sure you can argue about intention and that kind of thing. But in terms of having millions and millions of eyewitnesses on a widely broadcast platform, it felt quite bizarre. Rubiales as well just doubled down, effectively tried to excuse himself of any wrongdoing and stated that, he, you know, th there's nothing to this. Jenny Hermosa for herself, you know, there was a live stream of players on the bus celebrating and the, the team were kind of referencing it as Rubiales gets onto the bus. And it appears to be in a bit of a jovial, perhaps, you know, twisted kind of grin way. Um, but Jenny Hermosa is picked up on camera saying that she didn't like it. And she's saying it wasn't consensual. When, you know, it, when Rubiales came under criticism, uh, he essentially kind of just, you know, went on the warpath and just said that, you know, like, people are being stupid. You know, like, we, should, we shouldn't be moving away from the joy of this moment. So uh, automatically there was division and the Federation appeared to back the men involved over the women who had just won this World Cup. Luis Rubiales was suspended, but this is no longer just about one man's conduct. It's also about those who stood by him. No voy a I will not no, resign, he said, and they applauded, including this no man, Jorge Vilda, the coach of the national women's no squad. And what about FIFA and all this? What did they say? How did they respond? It took a while. FIFA would eventually, you know, the overall governing body of world football would eventually suspend Rubiales, but that did take some time to get to. At first, it was kind of handled internally. And like I say, the, 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 the kind of the onus from them was was put onto Hermosa. The, the Federation, in, a, in a deleted statement, it should be said that this is a statement that they put out but would eventually take down. They called her a liar and they threatened legal action against her. The women's game in football has been growing substantially in recent years, both in terms of its overall quality, the players involved, the personalities, uh, people watching the tournaments. And it's, it's become a very, very substantial and very, very good game to watch. And a scandal like this completely undermines the women involved. And what has Jenny Hermosa said throughout the controversy? You mentioned there that she had said that she wasn't comfortable with it, that it wasn't consensual, the kiss wasn't consensual. What has she said since then? Has she made any statements? I, I read somewhere that she said that her family and friends were coming under pressure to, to make comments. That accusation, I guess, or that kind of levelling came as a result of her directly accusing the Spanish Football Federation of what she described as a manipulative, hostile and controlling culture, which is kind of an overall problem that has been, you know, talked of throughout the team. And this is the most incredibly visible aspect of it that we've seen. And she did say that in different ways and through different people, the Federation has pressured those around me 
family, friends and colleagues to give a testimony that had little or nothing to do with her actual feelings. So because there was this initial kind of, you know, tranche of statements that appeared to support what was going on, which very much read like, you know, follow the company line here. But there's been so many changes and twists to this. I mean, like I say, Rubiales initially was so defined that he'd done nothing wrong and anyone coming against him was just trying to take the joy away from this whole moment. But then, of course, he himself would apologize. So it's just, which is it? You know, like, like there's so many contradictory moments throughout this. And it is baffling and bizarre that the Federation thought that they could control this internally when it was so external to anybody who watched the tournament. And the world was watching as well. So very difficult to, to handle it that way. What about Hermosa's colleagues and teammates? Were they supportive of her? Hermoso accused him of sexual assault. The entire Spanish women's team said they wouldn't play again as long as Rubiales remained in his position. Hugely, yeah. Um, and not just in, in the team, I mean, players worldwide, um, men and women. Uh, in Ireland, like Katie McCabe is one of the people who've come out and said, Jenny, we are with you. But it got to a point where as many as 81 Spanish female footballers said that they would no longer play or be available for selection for their national team. And again, a national team that has just won the biggest prize in football. And they said, we will not be called up. We will not play for you as long as Luis Rubiales is the head of this federation. With Luis Rubiales' mother going on hunger strike, can you tell me a little bit about what happened there? That was one of the elements of this story, I think, that made it more front page news than back page news. And as you say, there was a huge interest in it, you know, regardless of just for a sports story. It became a, a bigger situation than this. And I think one thing that grabbed people's attention the most was that Luis Rubiales' mother, uh, Angela Behar, staged a protest to try and put an end to what she had described as a, quote, inhumane witch hunt against her son. And what she did physically was she locked herself in a church and went on hunger strike and said that she would not stop until effectively everyone stopped saying that her son was you know, a, a terrible person and this all goes away. She said, I am willing to die for justice because my son is a decent person and it is not fair what they are doing. I think after three days or so, she had to go to hospital. She has since been discharged, but it did appear to be that she was going to the most extreme possible levels to defend her son. And again, will it, it, there, will, there will be an investigation, so we'll have to see what comes out of this. But it is kind of tonally bizarre for these stances to be taken when the actions of Luis Rubiales are there for all to see. And we'll come to the investigations that are underway in a few minutes. But Rubiales has, has resigned. He resigned on Sunday. Why now? What has changed? Because he really was digging his heels in, as you mentioned there, since this kicked off. Why now? Pressure has told. I, I wonder if when you go back to those initial defiant statements, if they figured that they could just do that and it'd be fine. But FIFA getting involved, that's a huge deal. That's going to put so much pressure on the Spanish Federation. 81 of your players saying, we're not going to play for you anymore. How do you get around that? And then, of course, his like this, the team's own coaching staff resigned, citing the unacceptable attitude of Rubiales. So it's a house of cards. Every aspect of your squad and your structure has fallen apart. And the coach of the team, Jorge Vilda, who previously, you know, when they won the tournament, the federation put out a tweet saying, Vilda in, in block capitals, which seemed to send a message to players who'd previously clashed with him that, no, no, look what he did. He won the World Cup. He's staying. He has since been let go. So the whole thing has just completely crumbled around him and it became utterly untenable. The only surprise in all of this is that it took so long for him to actually step up and say, I'm leaving, I am resigning. And that he made the decision to do that in an interview with Piers Morgan. You've come under ferocious pressure for three weeks now. 
on you, on your family. It's been very difficult for your daughters, their young girls. Many people think you should resign as president. What are you going to do? About my resignation, yes, I'm going to do. I'm going, You're going to resign? Yeah, I'm going to, yes, because I cannot continue my work. Yeah, that's perhaps less surprising. I, I, what a union that is, of course. And, you know, listen, it's going to get eyes. You know, it, it's it's great entertainment for some people. Uh, he also put up a Google Drive link on, on Twitter about this, and essentially once again saying, you know, proclaiming his innocence and his defiance to the last. But he is now out of a job. I have to wonder in football where he will land. The reality is perhaps someone will take him on. But he appears to want to continue to clear his name. How he's going to do that, I'm not entirely sure. But it would appear that thanks to a couple of investigations, he will actually have to. And this isn't the only controversy that has surrounded the Spanish football team that we're talking about. The coach, as you mentioned, Jorge Vilda, had some controversies of his own going into the tournament. Can you tell me what was that about? Yeah, we mentioned Vilda earlier and essentially before the tournament, his methods had led to various players saying that they didn't want to play for him anymore. And so you had this mutiny, you had this division. There are players who have played for the team and won the World Cup who, in some people's eyes, you know, shouldn't be there. There should have been a more united front that we're seeing now. Like, you know, you had as many as 18 players, you know, saying publicly, we don't want to play for this guy. You now have 81 players saying we're not going to play for that guy. But what happened on the pitch, no one expected Spain to win this tournament. They didn't start incredibly well, but as the tournament went on, they got better and better. But what you were seeing with each with each game going by was, if a goal was scored or if a game was won, the women celebrated together. Vilda and his coaching team celebrated together, but there was a physical distance between the two. People picked up on that quite quickly. And so even when the tournament was won and Vilda was embraced, there was the sense of, okay, fair play to the women, can we get rid of this guy now, please? Vilda's gone, Rubiales is gone, it's time for Spain to rebuild. They can do it on the basis of an incredible tournament win, but this is a scandal and this is going to colour it for so long going forward. But that's not where this story ends because there are criminal investigations that are taking place now that is looking into the kiss. Can you tell me about what's going on there? Jenny Hermosa has filed an official complaint, yeah, a criminal complaint. The Spanish prosecutor's office have confirmed this and the top criminal court are, in fact, investigating the incident. So the formal complaint is in and it's a case of where does this go now? Like what has been put forward officially is that Ruby Alice is being investigated for the crimes of sexual assault and coercion against Jennifer Hermosa. So this effectively paves the way for Spain's national court to get involved and potentially bring him into the dock, which again, like I say, he's continuing to protest his own innocence. Uh, Then away from that, uh, because you've a dual jurisdictional issue here, police in Sydney, where in Australia, where the tournament took place, have said that they are willing to work with Spanish authorities and assist with the investigation if they receive a report from Hermosa directly. So essentially they're saying, we are here to be called upon if you need us. And just in relation to those investigations, there has been a development now. Yeah, it has now been confirmed that Spain's national court has agreed with the prosecution that Luis Rubiales has got cases to answer over alleged sexual assault and coercion. And as a result, he will now appear in court on Friday to testify. So what potential punishment does Rubiales face here if he's found guilty? I guess the first thing to say is that it has been highlighted that the Spanish criminal prosecution system is quite slow, notoriously so. And even with a huge amount of, I guess, social pressure, political pressure, pressure from everyone involved in the game, there's no guarantee that we will get any kind of resolution on this in the immediate future, even the near future. If Rubiales is found guilty, 
it will have to be determined by the judge and it could be a case of getting either one to five years in prison or it could just be a fine. Could just be a slap on the wrist. And, you know, if he is brought forward into a trial situation, the optics of that alone are just massively career damaging for him. But this is a story that's going to run and run. Miguel Delaney from the UK Independent. The beautiful game right now seems anything but at this stage with what we're talking about going on. But that isn't the only story. The whole world around football seems a bit gross at the moment. Can you talk to me just about what's going on there generally? Is the sport in a bit of a crisis? I think the sport is facing multiple crises. Um, some of them related to actually the, the there are existential threats to the sport itself in terms of how it's run or in its current form to much more serious issues like uh, we've already seen with two players from Manchester United, Mason Greenwood and now Anthony uh, facing allegations. First up, let's bring you some breaking news coming your way from Manchester United regarding their forward Anthony. The player has been dropped by Brazil following allegations of assault made by a former partner. From that perspective, I think there, there would be a view that it's basically football has to address how it confronts uh, the, these these sort of issues. Do you think there has always been maybe an underlying issue with how football has been operating that has go- gone back decades? Or do you think this is a very new issue in the modern era? A lot of what's happening right now, we've seen the same issues go back years. But the game has always been, particularly in the last 40 years, when it really started to explode financially, uh, the game has always been dictated by money. And as that money has grown, so the issues have grown. They go of a higher scale. You know, individual players, be, because of the kind of world around them, will feel more indulged. Um, that Again, that feeds into some of the power dynamics we've been talking about. And yeah, I, I, I think football is actually facing multiple crisis points in terms of it has to look at itself in terms of how it um how it has to face issues of or allegations of uh d- domestic abuse abuse talking in a wider sense here obviously there's been a lot of high profile recent recent cases uh, but it, but the game has to has to assess how it looks at that but then also to to the from the perspective of what the game is and where it's going uh, and i mean while, while they would seem separate issues I think they, they are connected because all of this speaks to the general governance and direction of football in that it is a game just completely enthralled to money where, and as a consequence, where performance and, and the money connected to that dominate everything as opposed to, I suppose, the, the community ideal that the sport and football are supposed to represent. Let's not get away from actually what this is because it is it's actually core, really, to the entire debate. Football at heart is supposed to be a kind of a social good. It's it's basically teams playing something that's good for you, a, a sport, football, to represent their local community with all sorts of social benefits. There are sources of social pride. But that, I mean, I suppose that sort of concept we're talking about going back a century, but it has just exploded into something completely different. Um, it's attracted all sorts of interests from kind of states with usually criticized human rights record looking to use the sport uh, to this kind of greedy embrace now of, uh, of private equity. Henderson's move to Saudi Arabia came under scrutiny due to his long-time support 
for the LGBTQ plus community. Homosexuality is illegal in Saudi Arabia, while the state stands accused of a host of other abuses, including placing harsh restrictions on women's rights and the right to political protest. For all sorts of reasons, football is reaching, uh, I would say, a crisis point. The great irony of that, of course, is that it's never been popular. I mean, there's a strong argument that football is the most popular cultural pursuit that's ever existed. No nothing has ever been played or enjoyed uh, over so many international borders. I mean, like David Goldblatt has made the argument, say that Cristiano Ronaldo or Leo Messi are much more famous than, say, uh, the Beatles or Elvis Presley or even the Pope <laughs> ever were, just, be just because of how, how universal football is. Uh, but it's, beca it's because of that very popularity that it's created this huge financial factor in the game, which essentially drives everything. So, I mean, right there, there's almost the two sides of football, the good in terms of its, you know, its universal nature and the bad, the, uh, the corrosive financial influence that creates. I'm definitely getting the sense from you that the perception out there maybe is that that football has kind of lost its heart and it has maybe lost its way. And now it's just become a business. And like you said, there's a huge emphasis on money. There was questions around the World Cup being held in Qatar. Do you think there's a want to improve the sport? And probably maybe more so, is there a want to improve the sport from the right people who can make that change? One of the most common criticisms you hear of uh, administrative figures in football is they almost get seduced by the proximity to real politics. And if you think about what I, I'm, I'm talking about over the last 40 years here, but like the heads of UEFA or FIFA say, they're essentially, they're, they're going around the world and able to bestow the great glory of hosting an international tournament on states. That, that's, that, that, that again is quite, quite a seductive power. Uh, and I mean, and that's, just, that's just one example on this, but that, that trickles down um, and ha has an effect on the sport as a whole. Uh, so again, while there, are, while there are good people within the sport who have the right ideas, uh, I think the very structure of it uh, mitigates against any sort of progressive change. And it, but by contrast, I mean, if, if you look at every decision that's been made in the last 40 years, usually it's just a kind of a, a further embrace of the, the sort of hyper-capitalist model that, that football has, has very much taken on throughout that period. I mean, and this goes to kind of bigger bigger debates about how the sport is run, about kind of how or how much broadcast money or prize money is shared between the clubs at the very top end and those at the bottom end, given that really the, the ecosystem is dependent on some sort of parity. And, and this speaks to the, the point you made, I suppose, about football as a business. I mean, the view is always now to kind of dis dismiss any idea of its, of its social good or whatever, that this is a business. But it's not. It's a, it's a sport. And sport is dependent on on partnership. It's dependent, like it's been on competition that works. So it's it, it's a sport that has a huge community and social element with an immense uh, business side. I mean, that's that's where it should be. But instead, it's increasingly uh, the business factors that are driving it. My thanks to Miguel Delaney and Dave Hanratty. I'm Tabitha Monaghan and today's episode was produced by Garrett Mulhall, researched by Darren Nolan and Dave Hanratty, with sound by John Smith. Archive clips from Sky News, Sky Sports News, RT Sport, The Telegraph, Good Morning Britain, Talk TV, BBC News and AFP News. If you enjoy The Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.
Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Eruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetoch, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestian Echo. The Entolamaginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.